Welcome to BioCentury This Week. I'm Jeff Cranmer, Executive Editor of BioCentury, and I'm joined by... Simon Fishburn, Editor-in-Chief. Lauren Martz, Executive Director of Biopharma Intelligence. On today's pod, with CGen continuing to impress in the clinic, we take a look at the company's ADC platform. It's technology that reportedly has caught Merck's eye, as well as perhaps some other suitors on the M&A front. And in our emerging company spotlight, we took a look at Structure, the company formerly known as Shoti. It's a startup from Receptos co-founder Ray Stevens. But first, today's pod is brought to you by BioCentury and Bay Helix East-West Biopharma Summit, the conference which incorporates our ninth China Healthcare Summit will take place in the San Francisco Bay Area November 14th to 16th with virtual attendance and option. Learn more and register at BiocenturyEastWest.com. Lauren, I'd like to turn to you right out of the gate. Early last week, we had some data from CGen for its antibody drug conjugate PADSEV. It put the company on track for a big label expansion into a subset of urothelial cancer patients. Tell us about the data and put it in context of what it means for the company's M&A prospects. So what we saw last week was that PADSEV, which was relatively recently approved for um, some later lines of urothelial cancer, led to a 64.5% ORR as first-line treatment for a subset of urothelial cancer patients, those who are ineligible for one of the chemotherapies, uh, cisplatin, that's that's commonly used because whether comorbidities or age, they can't receive the standard therapy. So this is a potentially big label expansion for a drug that so far, you know, is is relatively new in its launch, but hasn't led to huge sales yet. And I think this is important for the company because, you know, I think everyone's heard that there are rumors that Merck may be considering an acquisition of CGen and a couple near-term milestones that do influence the value of the company. This suggests that there might be more near-term sales in this program. Um, one of the other milestones that that may influence the value and whether or not a deal happens is an ongoing patent issue between Seijin and one of its competitors, Daiichi. There's a question of whether Daiichi may owe additional royalties for sales on its big antibody drug conjugate in HER2. I thought what was particularly interesting, Lauren, in what you wrote was that even though there's a lot of new technologies that Seijin and others are working on, it actually may not come down to that. Seijin has such a strong position that even with the first generation or the existing generation of technology that they're working on, their product portfolio is is pretty attractive and strong. So tell us more about that. Yeah, so another thing that we did last week was look into Seijin's pipeline and its technology to see how it compares with the growing list of other ADC developers. So Seijin was the first company to get an ADC approved. It's been doing this for a long time. 
my take on the field is that we're starting to see that every ADC technology is not created equal. You know, each one has its own payload, its own linker technology, and, you know, companies don't necessarily have just one, but in most cases, they're sort of very focused on that. And in Seijin's case, we haven't necessarily seen that technology go head to head with technologies from other companies. So sort of platform wide, we don't really know how it will stack up against, say, Daiichi, who has had some really standout data this year. But when you look at Seijin's pipeline, it, it's shocking how first in class or potentially first in class really almost the entire ADC pipeline is. So Padsev is one of the company's three approved ADCs, and all three of those are first in class. And you know we're defining first in class as the first therapy of that modality approved for that target. But then when you also look at the rest of the clinical pipeline, uh, specifically of ADCs, I think all of it is potential first in class by that definition. But what's also striking is that there's almost no competition among other modalities against the same targets either. So they're sort of paving a potential path to to first in class therapies. Um, that means it may not matter in the near or midterm that much how their actual technology compares with the other ADC technology, as long as you know it's generating the type of data that the first three programs have seen. They certainly sound like an attractive takeout target. And I have to say, I mean, I think one of the things is that, as you pointed out, CGM, which used to be known as Seattle Genetics, can we call them like the pioneer, certainly a pioneer in, in ADCs? They were the first company to get one approved, as you pointed out. And they really dominated the field for a while. I'm always interested in new modalities and how they make it to market. There's a lot of issues with new modalities. And for ADCs, the marketed products really show this pattern. We're going to be coming out with something later in the week that really shows the emergence of marketed new modalities that we'll be making available actually uh, for free as kind of poster. And really what you see on this poster is the poster child uh, ADCs, where you get one approved. Probably years later, you might get another approved. Quite often there's a big lag. Talked about this before. And now there's really about a dozen or so, I would say, on, on the market. And I think what's really important with this technology is that, yeah, CGEN has, I think, three, but it's not owned by one company. And that's probably healthy for a field when you do have other companies that are solving technologies and pushing each other forward. So I do feel like ADCs is the sort of poster child to some degree of how new modalities do come to market. Simone, any other trends that are catching your eye on, on this poster? Yeah, I mean, I should say that the poster really was something I put together for a story over a year ago, which generated a lot of interest. And what we looked at is new modalities that have come to market. And we've actually been updating that. And, you know, every time I show it at a presentation, I have people clicking away and taking pictures. And so we thought we'd make it available. The modalities that we, well, we call new modalities are therapeutic classes beyond small molecules, monoclonals, fusion proteins, proteins that have sort of been around for a long time. And we have at the moment six new categories, the way we look at them, bispecifics, gene therapy, antisense, CAR-T, RNAi, in addition to ADCs, that have made it to market. Lauren can talk in a minute about what she thinks the next ones might be. And to be clear, these are therapeutics, not vaccines, because there's probably somebody out there going, what about mRNA? Um, so we're really looking at 
therapeutics here. You know, bispecifics is probably an area we've talked a lot about that. It was Glenn Saito from Amgen came to market in late 2014, I think. And since that also had this lag and now we're seeing more and more come to market, I'm going to let Lauren talk about gene therapies for a minute. But what you'll see on this is that there's anti-sense coming on that really tends to be in the hands of just one or two companies at the moment. RNAi, really dominated by Alnylam at the moment. And then, of course, there's CAR-Ts where there are three or four players, at least, in that game. And um, something interesting about the lag that we've been noticing, it, it feels like there's always one big hurdle getting from the first one to the next batch of them. You know, with ADCs, there may be a toxicity issue that we need to figure out how to, you know, more selectively direct these actually to the tumors. With bispecifics, I know that there's been a half-life issue. You know, Lincito's infusion timeline is is not ideal. Um, and I think with gene therapies, you know, we've been following the safety story very carefully. And it's been interesting to see how the vectors for gene therapies have evolved over time. And we're starting to see, I think there are five gene therapies that are up for approval this year. It's a really big time for, for several of these modalities. It'll be interesting to see if, if these address some of the safety problems and market access problems. Right. Just one postscript on that. We haven't put on the poster products that have been withdrawn, but some have in particular for market access or commercialization reasons. So on top of all the technologies, there are issues over how to commercialize them, how to price them at a way that anyone will pay for them. Gene therapy has certainly gone down that road and certainly something that CAR-Ts struggle with. So that's another risk factor that goes into these new modalities, especially for the one and done therapies. All right. And as Simone said, that will be out on biocentury.com later this week. Let's turn to our emerging company, Spotlight. A planned one-year sabbatical in Asia for Raymond Stevens turned into a company-building exercise in Shanghai that has yielded a well-funded biotech called Structure that is seeking to convert biologics into best-in-class small molecules accessible to patients on a global scale. Now, Stevens, you might recall, was the co-founder of Receptos, a GPCR company that Celgene bought back in the day for $7.2 billion. Stevens now has a new GPCR company that's backed by uh, who's who of top China investors, Sequoia Capital China, Qiming, Wuxi, Lily Asia Ventures, in addition to anchor investors, Eight Roads, as well as Fidelity's F Prime. Lauren, what has attracted all of these investors to what Ray Stevens is up to this time around? Well, Stevens told us that they are very focused on well-validated targets of biologics that have the potential to expand to the global markets if we could just find a small molecule, something that's shelf-stable, orally delivered, something that, that's just easier to get to patients than biologics. And so I think it's the fact that they have this proven platform that seems to have evolved a bit over time that can be used to take the structural information of that biologic and that GPCR and use that to find small molecules that can replace the biologic and that in some cases may even 
be able to improve on the, the properties of the biologic. Um, you know, tweaking how exactly which downstream signaling pathways are, are blocked, for example. I think it's the fact that they're going for best in class, you know, orally bioavailable against targets where there's a potentially very attractive market and, and it can have an, an impact on therapeutic access. Now, the lead compound is a small molecule GLP-1 agonist for type 2 diabetes and obesity that's just completed a single ascending dose study. Lauren, uh, any comment on the indications they're going for? So they're going for obesity and type 2 diabetes. And these are the indications where, where people or other companies are using GLP-1 agonists. But this is just such a, a hot target space right now. We saw earlier this year that terzepatide from Eli Lilly led to sort of the level of weight reduction that you'd get from gastric bypass surgery. So there was a, a ton of excitement around their GIP, GLP-1 agonists. But Novo's GLP-1 agonist also you know, has performed very well. Um, that's semaglutide. So there's a ton of excitement about, around the peptide therapies for this target. And uh, obviously, a lot of interest in developing a small molecule that would have the same kind of efficacy. Yeah, and Stevens really emphasized the mission of the company. He said that as he was traveling around Asia, it really struck him at how many communities are, are just cut off from being able to easily get their hands on biologics. I think what he said to us was that 60% of the world's population can't get access to them, not just because of the cost of goods, but it's refrigeration, storage, shipment, stability. Lots of different reasons. So sort of a man on a mission here. The company's quite interesting as well. They they launched before the pandemic, but they were already set up virtually. I think one thing that really um, caught Stephen's attention while he was in Shanghai was the vibrant CRO scene, which allows for companies to start up, get discovery work done quickly without the need for big laps. When the pandemic hit, he said, you know, they were already ready to rock and roll. So the company is set up in Shanghai and South San Francisco in that little hub uh, over, of course, where Genentech is, the new cytokinetics building, and many, many, many of the Bay Area biotechs are set up. So this is a company we'll be watching. They've uh, now today topped off their $100 million Series B with a further 33 million to bring their total raise to 198 million. We shall see what's next. You can read the emerging company profile by Lauren and myself up on biocentury.com. Now, our friend Steve Usden is not here today. Those of you who were listening uh, last week when he got a little cheeky with the boss, rest assured he has not been suspended. He uh, is rather on his summer break because foolish man that he is, he, he sort of thought that Washington was going to be quiet this summer as it always is. It's far from it. Um, his parting gift to you, dear, dear reader, was a uh, story updating you on uh, where things stand with Medicare drug pricing regulation. It is advancing despite several groups of biopharma CEOs descending on the Capitol, trying to make the case that several provisions in the legislation would be 
quite detrimental to innovation. And carried interest has made a return to the legislative forums of the Capitol, um, certainly has caught venture capitalists' attention. And also on BioCentury.com, we have two stories of interest for those watching the ALS space and in particular Biogen. Biogen has another candidate up for consideration for accelerated approval. This time around, it is Topherson, the company's anti-SOD1 therapy for ALS. If approved, it could open the door for neurofilament as a biomarker. And our colleague Danielle Golovin has a piece out surveying the landscape of targets in ALS. That's all we have time for this week. Thank you, Simone. Uh, thank you, Lauren. And of course, a hats off to England's women footballers for taking the Euro 2022 title at Wembley with their two to one win over Germany. And that comes after dispatching Sweden and Spain. So I know that's near and dear to Simone's heart. She's not all tennis all the time, tennis, biotech, and football. All of BioCentury's podcasts are available on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, and Google. Kendall Square Orchestra provides the music for our podcast. The group connects science and technology professionals and other members of the greater Boston community to collaborate, innovate, and inspire through music while supporting causes related to healthcare and education. We will catch you next week. Thanks for tuning in.